Chapter 15 True to his word, Ryan made rent on the third month. He'd scored a six-month contract as a technician at a big fiber optics company just across the river, FiberSpec Communications. When Ryan handed him the check, Todd said, You should be working off the books. Ryan didn't understand the reference and didn't want to start a conversation with Dodge, so he didn't ask. He took on any extra work he could find, too. He filled in at the tea cafe or Copperfield's bookstore when someone called in sick and did odd jobs for Dodge. Each month, he paid rent, kept $200 to live on, and sent the rest to Linda, barely a third of his child support payment, but hopefully enough to show he was trying. In those first three months, Ryan still hadn't seen Katerina's mother. Other than a few rapidly shut doors, the only sign that she existed at all was the sound of Katerina arguing with her. Ryan was sympathetic, though. It had taken his mother five years to recover from his father's death. Of course, Ryan had had Grandma and his sisters to fill the gap. Katerina only had Dodge. Yikes. When Ryan got home from work, Katerina was usually sitting on that ridiculous red velvet couch in Dodge's living room watching TV. Ryan would sit at the other end of the couch, and after a few weeks, the two of them were exchanging wisecracks about the quality of the music videos and skateboard competitions that Katerina watched. It brought Ryan up to speed on pop music, and he learned more about extreme skateboarding than he thought there was to know. That part was scary. Katerina was bound to try those stunts. That the kid had no boundaries made him angry with her mother. He knew what his grandma would say, could hear her voice. We mustn't waste our time on the dead. In December, Dodge put a huge plastic Christmas tree topped with a Star of David in the foyer and set gift boxes wrapped in red, green, and blue underneath it. Ryan was surprised that Dodge would bother. Katerina said, He's pretending to be a human being. Appropriately, all the gift boxes are empty, like the man's soul. Ryan pointed at one of the boxes. Its reindeer wrapping paper made it stand out. What about that one? Katerina picked it up and looked at the tag for Katerina from Ryan. She looked at him with mock distrust. It's not going to blow up, is it? Then she tore it open and found a skating helmet and wrist guards. Ryan could tell by the way she looked at them and then back at him that she appreciated the gesture, but she didn't say thank you. Ryan figured that she didn't know any better. Ryan's favorite odd job was something Dodge had managed to sneak into the rental contract. Security guard on weekend nights at Skate and Shred. Skate and Shred was a turn-of-the-century theater that Dodge had converted to a combination skate park concert venue catering to Petaluma's teenage population. Two blocks down the hill from Nutter House, the building occupied the corner of a busy street a block from the boulevard. Katerina spent most of her waking hours there. Ryan felt more like Margaret Mead in New Guinea than a security guard. He enjoyed getting to know the kids. Mostly, though, he felt responsible to watch out for Katerina. Skate and Shred wasn't the safest place in town for a 12-year-old girl with no curfew. On a cool, dry Friday night, he passed a few kids out front smoking cigarettes, their skateboards in a heap. Inside, the walls of the lobby were covered in graffiti of varying levels of artistic promise. Dodge left a box of markers, some acrylic paints, and brushes to encourage his patrons to release their creative angst. To him, it was a device to convince parents and police officers that Skate and Shred served a public purpose. K 
Katerina stood on an old stained couch working on a mural. Her black skirt was decorated with Celtic knots along the hem and a crucifix on the seam in what could have been the same paint she was using. A smiling black dragon, smoke shooting from its nostrils, and a few random flames leaking between its fangs looked like it was jumping out of the wall and over the couch. Ryan sat on the sofa's armrest. What you doing? Painting death. He stared at the painting for a second. The dragon only looked black at a glance. Color swirled into its skin, and the spiny structure of its neck was shades of purple on its belly. She'd included shadows that made it look three-dimensional. It was a happy-looking dragon. He said, Shouldn't death look more, you know, dead? No. Katerina stepped up on the back of the couch and brushed white paint above the dragon, covering the wall's olive drab up and onto the ceiling. On the wall directly across the library, a much larger dragon looked back at the little smiling dragon. The small one was vivid and sharp. The larger was done brown and mottled. Did you paint that one, too? Uh-huh. He went across the room and looked closely at the larger dragon. The models were from the olive drab of the wall leaking through. Where the little dragon sparkled, its layers of acrylic reflecting the fluorescent light, the big dragon's flat latex absorbed the light. A few wisps of smoke curled straight up from the big old-looking shadow of a dragon. This guy looks pretty beaten down. He's not beaten down, she snapped. He's doing the best he can. Oh. Ryan noticed that the little dragon's eyes, complete with little stars in their irises, twinkling like emeralds, the same as Katerina's eyes, were aimed directly at the old dragon, but the old dragon was looking up at the ceiling. If you were dead, you'd look beaten down, too. Sorry, Katerina. Ryan went back to the couch. What do I know from art? Reaching her brush farther out on the ceiling, she lost her balance and had to step down from the couch. Ryan caught her arm, steadying her. She pushed away. I don't need your help. Ryan shrugged. Sorry. He noticed that, incorporated in the dragon's breath, there were little symbols and some writing. He pointed at them and said, What are these things? These things are what's left over after death. Would you please leave me alone? As he walked from the lobby to the theater, he heard Katerina mumble, People are so fucking stupid. That she was such an ornery little wretch amused him. It reminded him of the youngest of his three sisters at that age. Ryan didn't like her saying fuck, though. Inside the theater, a dozen skate rats flew up and down the ramps while a band called Broken Skag set up on stage. As he passed, the kids held out their skate cards, and Ryan pretended to scrutinize them, but gave most of his attention to whether or not they had their helmets strapped on and wrist guards tight. Backstage, Broken Skag's junior groupies, two 15-year-old girls wearing lots of black lace, flirted with the band's frontman. Make that front boy. He was barely 16. Sitting in the center of the couch, he had his arm around one of the girls and pulled her close. She whispered in his ear and snuggled against him. Ryan leaned over to listen. She glared at him. To the front boy, Ryan said, Go tune a guitar or something. The next time Ryan passed through the lobby, he noticed that Katerina had painted the ceiling white with gray puffy edges from one end of the room to the other connecting the two dragons. There were more of the little symbols and words like tiny graffiti embedded in the clouds. He looked around for her, but it was crowded and she was small. 
Around eleven o'clock, Ryan wandered through the alley and back. Three teenagers, two older boys and one smaller kid, huddled behind the dumpster in the shadows of the security lights. One of the boys abruptly threw his smoke into the gutter. Ryan sniffed the air and groaned. I really wish you'd get stoned someplace else. Ryan recognized one of the two bigger kids, Alex, the ultimate poser. He made the other kids call him the ace, and the force of his personality was strong enough to pull it off. The smaller kid's face was turned away, but Ryan recognized the skateboard. It was nearly as long as she was tall. Katerina? She started to take off. Wait up! Katerina! She stopped and turned around, her face aimed at the ground between them, but her eyes turned up at him. Ryan knew adolescent surly when he saw it. She picked her skate up to her hand. What? His impulse was to snap at her for hanging out with a bunch of losers, but he'd already pissed her off once that night. He reached for something to say. It was too late for her to be out, but she wouldn't listen if he told her to go home. He got an idea. Raising a hand to his head and squinting, he said, Could you do me a huge favor? She took a step toward him. He lowered himself to the curb and said, Major sinus headache. Are you okay? Her eyes widened. My dad used to get headaches. It's just allergies. No big deal. I mean, they suck, but... Could you go up to the house and get my medicine? Give me your keys. What? To get your medicine, McDoofus. Oh, yeah. Ryan handed her the keys to his apartment and directed her to the shoebox in his bathroom. Thanks, Katerina. Sorry I didn't get your painting. I like it, though, even so. She jumped on her skateboard and took off. She wasn't wearing her helmet. Ryan resumed his circuit. As he walked toward the lobby, he saw the lady on the bicycle again. The way her hair and skirt floated along behind made her look like a witch on a broom. He caught her eye the instant a streetlight illuminated her. Then, as if making eye contact was somehow forbidden, she rode away. McNear! Dodge yelled from the lobby. Get in here! Some punk-ass motherfucker is stage-diving! Get him out of my theater! Fifteen minutes later, Ryan dragged a drunk teenage boy outside encouraged him to hand over his cell phone, found Mom in the index, and called her to come pick him up. On his way back in, Dodge tossed him his medicine. Ryan asked, Where's Katerina? Without looking up, Dodge said, Not in here! Ryan took a quick patrol through the alley and around the block. The boy who called himself the Ace sat on the curb, smoking. Ryan asked if he'd seen Katerina. He answered by flicking his cigarette into a dumpster. Ryan said, Alex, leave her alone. He scowled. Chill, dude. I don't know who you're talking about. Ryan took a closer look around the alley, the fire escape, and the parking lot. Katerina must have gone home. An hour later, when Ryan finally headed up the hill, a crescent moon was peeking from behind a long, narrow cloud. At the door, he realized Katerina hadn't returned his keys, and it was locked. He looked around for an open window and went around back, but that door was locked, too. On the second floor, Katerina's light was on. He threw some pebbles up to the window, and a minute later she stuck her head out. Could you let me in? She came downstairs, sock-footed and in a dirty nightshirt, and opened the door. Do you have my keys? The woman said she'd give them to you. Your mom? Yeah. They walked inside together. Really? I've never actually seen her. Katerina stopped at the foot of the stairs with a confused look. You have, too. Turning up the stairs, she added, 
and if you haven't yet, be afraid. Ryan closed and locked the door. A reddish glow from a sconce lit the stairs. Katerina was already in her room, door closed. He paused to knock. He'd need his key to get in his apartment, but looking down the hall, saw that his door was cracked open. There was a sweet smell, sort of like cotton candy. He pushed open the door and flicked on the overhead light. A woman was seating at his desk, facing the window. For an instant, Ryan felt like apologizing for intruding, but it was his apartment. Still, he said, Excuse me? She turned to him. You're Katerina's mom? He looked both ways, at the kitchenette and his bed. He went in the kitchen. There was something familiar about her. Do you want coffee or something? She didn't respond. He reached into the fridge. Beer? She still didn't respond. He twisted the cap off a bottle and leaned against the counter. His keys were sitting there. She was at least a decade older than Ryan, had long, dark, wavy hair, and wore a similarly dark skirt. That was it. She was the woman on the bike. Katerina had the same jawline and smooth course to her cheek, though her nose and eyes were different. It was definitely the face that Katerina would grow into. She finally looked away, back at the window. All he could think of to say was, "'Thanks for bringing my keys.' She nodded, and the quiet strained a while longer. Ryan finally said, "'I love Katerina. You have a wonderful kid.' That was the trigger. "'Katerina was a fine child. We loved her so much.' Looking at the floor in front of her, she walked toward him. One step onto the kitchen's linoleum, she stopped two feet away, close enough to be uncomfortable. She said, "'My name was Jane,' and offered a hand. It was cold, and as he closed his hand around hers, she stiffened, and her eyes seemed to focus for the first time. "'It's nice that you watch TV with Cat. Her father and I can't.' "'It's cool,' Ryan said. "'I like hanging with her. I have a son about her age back in Texas. "'Is your wife dead?' "'What?' Ryan stepped to the side. No, she lives in Texas with my son. Her eyes tracked him, but she didn't move. Her words flowed in a monotone, and she told him about her husband's fight with brain cancer. That was our sad, glad time. As we watched our world dry up and blow away, our pain blew away, too. I wanted to go with him, but he wouldn't let me go. He told me to stay here with Cat. As soon as I'm finished with Cat, I'm going to him. When Ryan's father died, he learned that hugging his mother helped. Not that he had enough hugs to fill her loss, but they helped. Ryan stepped toward her. Jane's face jerked toward him. Don't comfort me. Only he could comfort me. I held on to him, you know. Even when he was cold and rigid, I didn't let go. It was Katerina. Katerina made me let go of him. She pulled my arms away. She made me let go. I wouldn't have let go, but she made me. Some day when she's ready, then I'll go. Dodge is going to help me. Any sympathy he felt for this woman was washed away in anger and jealousy. My son is two thousand miles away. I'm not allowed near him. She didn't seem to be listening, so he stepped in front of her. He grabbed her shoulder so she couldn't recoil. Listen to me, Jane. You're wasting time. He's dead, and you're alive. Katerina needs... No, I'm not. What? I'm not alive. Her eyes were blank, empty, even empty of tears. She said, I died with him. I'm just here until Cat is ready. He let her shrink away. It was difficult not to believe what she said.
Chapter 16 Ryan was rebuilding his career according to plan. His rent was on time nine months straight. Plus, he paid off the first two months all of Dodge's various fees and sent Linda over $5,000. When his contract with FiberSpec Communications expired, the manager offered him an electrical engineering staff position. Technician to staff engineer was three rungs up the career ladder. He had business cards, health insurance, a 401k, and a new blue cubicle. But there was a problem that Ryan didn't know about. Six months ago, when they first hired him, Human Resources had filed all the standard forms, including one with the directory of new hires. The Office of Child Support Enforcement eventually matched Ryan's name to a list submitted by the DNH. The OCSE filed a standard form with FiberSpec Human Resources, and they generated a memo saying that child support would be garnished from Ryan's pay. Since the child support had been set at 20% of his pay when he was software director at GoldCon, he would take home less than half his rent. Ryan digested the news. It was okay. He hadn't earned any favors. Besides, he could make enough on the side to keep Dodge off his back and to put enough food in the cupboard for his meals and Katerina's snacks. After a few months paying full child support, he figured he could go to court in Texas, argue that he'd demonstrated ability and willingness, get the amount reduced and that arrest warrant rescinded. What Ryan didn't know was that crossing state lines to avoid paying child support is a felony and that the OCSE subcontracted the actual enforcement. He wouldn't make rent on his first anniversary in Nutter House. Chapter 17 Dodge was the only one at the house when OCSE's agent knocked at the door. He invited the tired-looking man in for coffee and tried not to chuckle as he followed him down the hall. It wasn't a complete hand yet, but his down cards looked good. Apparently, the raspy laughter leaked out. The agent flashed a suspicious look as he entered the kitchen. While brewing a fresh pot, Dodge said that yes, a man named Ryan McNear lived there, but no, it didn't sound like the man he was looking for. McNear? A deadbeat dad? I don't think so. He offered a seat at the kitchen table. You're looking for a bald man? About fifty? The agent opened a folder, took out two envelopes, confirmed the address, and said, Ryan McNear, thirty-seven years old, auburn hair, blue eyes, not quite six feet tall? Nah, the guy that lives here isn't any taller than me, and if his eyes were ever blue, he's full of shit now. <laughs> Dodge laughed extra loud at his own joke, loud enough that the agent had to join in the laughter or appear rude. Dodge poured coffee while the agent puzzled over the contents of an envelope. I should really talk to your Mr. McNear before reporting that we have a bad address. Will he be home soon? Dodge couldn't help but smile. Is stupidity a requirement for government work? You know where the guy works, you know what he does, and you come to his house in the middle of the work day. Nope. The Ryan McNear who lives here is out of town. Don't expect him back for a couple of weeks. Does your Mr. McNear work for... He scanned a page in his folder. Fiberspec Communications? Fiberspec? Nah, this guy's a traveling salesman, sells raincoats or something. The agent took a long drink of coffee and stood. I have to leave a notice for your Mr. McNear just in case. I sure hate going into a place of business and dragging someone out. <laughs>
Dodge gestured surrender with his hands. Wish I could help. As he walked the agent to the door, Dodge gave him bad directions across town, enough to add at least twenty minutes. Dodge was on the phone within seconds of the door shutting. Ryan picked up on the third ring. Dodge said, There's a federal agent on his way to arrest you. When Ryan got home, Dodge guided him to the office, sat him down, and said, Ryan, you have an attorney. I can protect you. It's time for you to realize that if you work on the books, you're going to jail. If I don't work, I can't pay my child support. If I can't... Faint lines etched up Ryan's forehead, connecting the bridge of his nose to his widow's peak. They added ten years. Perfect. Ryan, stop talking. Ryan babbled on a while longer. Dodge leaned back in the chair and tried to give the appearance that he was listening. Staring at Ryan's nose, he added together everything he knew. National Engineering Group, the conglomerate best known for supplying hardware to the world's oil companies and refineries, was getting a larger and larger share of weapons research contracts since 9-11, and had met with Foster Reed. It was a nice card, but not good enough to start the betting. Well, Ryan almost shouted, McNear, understand this. I am an attorney, an expert on these things. You know that IRS form, the W-4, you fill out before an honest employer can pay you? Ryan nodded. Next time you fill that out, you're going to jail. It doesn't matter whether you do it here or in Texas. You're going to the big house. Ryan said, What if I... The slammer, the cooler, the hooskow, the pokey, the pen. Of course, you and your husband will call it home. But if I got a job in Texas, at least don't drop the soap, Ryan. Your fine Irish ass is at stake. Dodge waited for it to sink in, and then tried not to laugh at sink in. Ryan stared into the shadows under the desk. His fingers stopped tapping, and he let loose a long sigh, as though he were exhaling the last wisps of hope. Dodge tried not to smile, but it was impossible. Fortunately, Ryan didn't seem to notice. This is how you'll get your money. Dodge spoke as earnestly as he could manage. Your friend's company, Creation Energy, is going to get some contracts for their technology. And when they do, we will sue them, and all your problems will disappear. Dodge snapped his fingers. Just like that. All you have to do is be patient and let me take care of it. I'm not suing Foster Reed, Ryan said. Of course you are. Otherwise, you go to jail. Don't you want to see your son? Besides, they're your inventions. You have a right to that money. Dodge still saw doubt in Ryan's eyes. The solution was simple. Stack the deck. It was time to con his science zealot sister, Emmy, into coming up for a visit. She could beat any belief out of Ryan. Listen, McNear. I'm going to have my sister visit. She's a physics professor a real physics professor at a real university. She can help us understand what your chum is trying to do. The best part of dabbling in the lives of others is setting them up and then watching them betray their desires. She's a beautiful girl. Of course, you probably wouldn't be interested. She comes with a brain. 
Ryan's eyes opened the slightest bit wider. It took extra vigilance for Dodge to maintain his poker face.